Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Hollowell, and I am the host of the Honey and Hustle podcast. Season three has come to a close, but we wanted to go the extra mile for you guys and for our guest. We had so many incredible guests throughout our 44 episodes in season three, and we also crossed 100 episodes so far as a podcast. We didn't want to let another season go by without sharing some of our favorite lessons learned, highlights, and what we're informally calling the inaugural Honeys and Hustlers Awards. So stay tuned, sit back, relax, and let's go through some of our best moments from season three. Kicking us off with our first category is our impactful nonprofits. I didn't start out thinking that I was going to start a business, like the, even the language of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurship or social justice, you know, entrepreneur, like that, that language wasn't even my, in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went into my PhD program, policy leadership and school improvement, thinking that I was going to gain research skills and research knowledge and use that as an elementary school principal. Mm -hmm. I wanted to disrupt the early literacy experiences of what was happening to black and brown boys Mm -hmm. in elementary school because at the high school level, I was teaching uh, incoming ninth graders and so many of them could not read on grade level. So I went into my doctoral program thinking, I'm gonna gain these research skills, I'm gonna better understand these early literacy experiences, and then I'm gonna go be a dope elementary school principal and I'm gonna change some trajectories, right, for kids. try to have an impact. I just love, um, you know, running startups under our nonprofit umbrella. And one way is that it is very low risk. So nonprofits are supported financially in a different way than for-profits, right? A lot of times they're getting grants or foundation funding or charitable donations. And we have some different funding mechanisms that are afforded to us than for-profits. For-profits obviously have a lot of funding mechanisms that aren't available to nonprofit. But I believe that the advantage to the way our funding works is that we can take more risks up front. So if we say, you know what, we have no clue if this reusable takeout thing's gonna work, like how we felt back in 2016, we could be like, okay, people, do you like this idea? Let's put our money together um, and see if it works. Our initial idea around Thought Grass was not necessarily to erect something that would be, um, you know, something we would do kind of in perpetuity. <laughs> More so, it was like, all right, how do we figure out how to be a stopgap and like support our farmers, and you know, who were at that time a very vulnerable and still continue to be a very vulnerable community. Um, but also a very resilient community. And so we were like, all right, like, what's our role? Um, what's our role in, in, in their sustainability uh, over the next, you know, few weeks, few months? And then it, it, the support turned and helped it turn into something that has been able to sustain for coming on three years. 
It's not a fair comparison to compare to people that serve in our military. What we go through is nowhere near what they go through. But I think the analogy serves to prove a point that it's extremely difficult. The way that sports is viewed, especially pro athletes are viewed in the world today, makes it very difficult on pros to find their identity outside of the game. And it's really cool to see people like LeBron James and female athletes taking advantage of their platform and understanding that they have the ability to use their platform, not only just for soccer, but to set themselves up for life after separating that more than, right? More than an athlete, more than a coach, more than a parent. We aren't our performance at the end of the day. I'm thankful that I got really great people in my life that have helped me through this transition. Got a great family, got a great wife. They just remind me that they didn't like me because I played soccer. <laughs> they liked me because of, of who I was in my heart. We can't be working all play. So let's take a look at some of our funniest moments from season three. So what has been your experience in just continuing to define what communications means to you and the teams that you work with and the people that you work with having been in this space for so long? Yeah. Oh, man, you made me sound old. Like, no, you're not old. <laughs> wow, you've been in this space so long. No, long. no I'm just joking. I'm giving you a hard time. Um, but I, I'll share you. I have, I think back on it, and I've been in this space for about 15 and a half years, right? There are colleagues of mine that have been in it way longer, have done way more things, but I'm always uh, uh, so super excited to share it as like, like I've, I've done some stuff too, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's always good to be like, yeah, I've, I've done some stuff too, you know? Um, and so you hit it right on the head. Like, I think about when we initially created Substantial, right? And, and if I can just have a, a short plug, like Substantial is a, 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 a multimedia um, platform that exists, right? To do exactly what you're doing, right? To share the stories, positive stories of black folks, man. Black and brown people that are out here doing some extraordinary things. Um, and we're also here to talk about the relevant issues that directly affect our communities. Um, and when we think about that, right? We were like, at the end of the day, it has no other name but substantial because of the definition. You know, you talk to the Lord about it and you're leaning on him and you trust in him. And I said, girl, I am, but it don't look good right now. <laughs> I trust him. I know it's going to work out eventually. But right now, I got to be honest, it's not looking good. <laughs> when, when the rent due for your house and the rent due for your brick and mortar and you got to flip a coin to decide who's getting paid first, child, please. <laughs> all about understanding the backstory, the history that we have with food, our culture. So in the black community, food, I'm a nurse, so I'm always in a public health double school degree. So I'm always talking about disparities in communities and African-Americans, we have a huge, huge disparity when it comes to food, whether it's food deserts, just the diet we eat just culturally and historically which is a whole nother topic that I can right, go into. Right. But, but, um, but I'll spare it for today. But that is really the core of why we kept moving with it. Even during the downfalls, even during the constant no's, even during all those things, like we really were like, you know what, we're gonna do it and we're gonna stand out. Like we're not gonna, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it right. And we're gonna do it well. And so we did our research. I have my background and my degrees. Like I did my research there. Margo's amazing. She's a phenomenal, I call her a chef, but you're self-taught, but she curates and creates amazing. She's an amazing creator. So together, we really put our heads together and just Blend of Soul was created. We had more tag teams than ever in this season. 
Let's take a look at some of our fabulous duos. The internet is everyone talking all of the time. Everyone has a thought, an opinion, an idea, or whatever to share. And if you let that discourage you from doing something, then you're completely missing out because everybody else is gonna be there no matter what. So you might as well get on there and say whatever you need to say because at least some people are gonna hear it. And what's important is your audience, the people who care about your topic are gonna hear it. It's not necessarily that everybody in the world hears it because with peace and love, not everybody in the world cares about your topic and that's okay. But if you're reaching the right people, it doesn't necessarily matter how many people you're actually reaching. I might've had a better shot having played college football with making it making 500,000 in the NFL than I necessarily I could have raised 500,000 for a company. And that's kind of crazy to think about because we talked about how, remember I said before, going from high school to college was one thing. Now going from college to the pros, I mean, there's a lot of talent left out of that never make it that So again, your question makes me think, that's why I say I hesitate because it makes me think life is about believing in people, but then also really the challenges of what it means to as Tom said, Dorian, great culture, great vibe. But if he's going to get out there and be successful, it's not because he's got all these other um, systems at work for him that are working against the system that suggests that a black restaurateur really can't compete with a Starbucks or compete with any. So as a community, we teamed up with different partners and we were able to provide at least, if, even not maybe two or three days worth, but even at least a day's worth of food mm -hmm. for, you know, a child or food for a teenager or whatever, school-age children, mm -hmm. because that is important. How can you go to school and focus if you're hungry? Yep. You can't do that, right? That's why they tell you during the state mandated test that you used to have to take with your EOG, EOCs, or whatever they're called. Yeah. yeah. They always used to tell you, hey, make sure you eat something light before you at least eat something before you take the test because if you don't, you're not going to be able to focus and you're not going to be able to perform and do your best. And it's the exact same way to take away the actual state mandated test. It's the exact same way for school. It's the exact same way for learning. And learning to let go yeah. of criticizing yourself and having that be a, a reflection on like your, your personhood um, and just rolling with yeah, it's business. I, I learned that. I learned what it means more like it's business. And sometimes that's, that's what happens. And But you can do little things about how you manage that. Those are lessons um, that we've learned. And uh, I think that in, in the moments, there are certain pockets where you are able to see very clearly why this thing excites you. And when you're able to access those feelings, I think really allowing yourself to get lost in that is important because you might wake up the next day and have to run payroll. But there's nothing to be said about going all in on it and mm -hmm. not really leaving yourself space for a plan B because I feel like when you leave yourself an out, mm -hmm. things get hard, you're gonna take it. Yeah. Like you're gonna come for you're gonna take that out. Like, oh, I can always go back. Yeah, and that's that's part, like I knew that about myself, that's part why I didn't let myself do that um, coming out, straight out of college. Yeah, I mean, part of me leaving that original job I had was that we sat down together and not just ran the numbers, but we we did what you call a bubble chart, which is like deciding, you know, what's my what's my end goal here? What do I actually want to be doing? And I don't know if you remember that conversation. And I said the thing that I really, really wanted was freedom mm -hmm. to to travel, to make my own schedule, to to just do what I wanted. Yeah. And 
working backwards and saying, okay, how do I get there? And the choice that was right in front of me was, you have to leave this job if you want that freedom mm -hmm. one day. So. And the cool thing, I don't know if you've ever done anything similar to this, but that, that exercise of like, here's the top thing, here's what I actually want, and then blah, 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 and then you end with a choice you can make like today or tomorrow or whatever. And usually if you look at it and you're like, hmm, this seems really daunting, it's because whatever you put up top is what you actually want to do. And which is also very good to go through, you know, it's like, oh, it's actually, I'd rather prefer security to, to freedom or whatever. So it's a good little thing. I should do one. As a visual storyteller at heart, it wouldn't be right to pass up the opportunity to shine a light on some of the artists and creators we had on the show this season. So going back to the distribution part of this is film festivals, so not yeah. just social media, but film festivals. Mm -hmm. So what is your approach to doing a successful film festival circuit for a film? Well, it depends, it depends. Um, I tell filmmakers all the time. Um, I know a lot of times filmmakers, they wanna go to Sundance and yeah. Tribeca South by, I worked at a film festival, <laughs> Full Frame, for years, and they're up there. You know, it's one of the top doc festivals in the world. Mm -hmm. It's tough to get in. Mm -hmm. It's tough, it's tough. And I tell filmmakers all the time, if you don't get into these top festivals, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that your film is bad or nothing. It just might not fit, you know, what they're trying to do. You have different programmers, they have different tastes, you know. And also, I don't expect, um, some of these top tier festivals to really resonate with my work because my work is for our people you know now if you want to check it out it's cool but i don't just like with some films that i see i'm like man i'm not that's not i'm not interested in that <laughs> you know what i'm saying so if i had a festival i probably wouldn't program it either you know what i'm saying so i always go with the approach of finding out what type of film you have so if you have something that's focused on black history or black culture look for those festivals like the pan-african film festival or the north carolina black film festival the hayti festival here in durham mm -hmm. um, reach out to those folks because a lot of times they're looking for um, quality um, black films especially docs um, so reach out to those folks man and um, a lot of times not only will they show your film at the festival they'll bring you back during the year to do a screening series or something and pay you some money, you know, a screening fee as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've done over the years is just try to grow with our own festivals mm -hmm. and grow with them. And you know, if other people reach out, wanna do something, let's do it. But that's what I try to do. I try to find out, I try to look for festivals that kind of share the same theme um, as my films, you know? And then also just do your own screenings as well. You know, film festivals, you know, aren't the end of the world. Mm -hmm. um, but you can kind of figure out what really works for you and fits for you. I gave myself permission mm -hmm. to be 100% creative and like not pretend that I really, really, really wanted to be, had this like very conventional job. Mm -hmm. um, and so it shifted my focus a little bit. I started writing more in a serious way and I started like opening up my heart and my mind to people that wanted to collaborate with me in a very healthy way versus like a competitive way that I knew from before. Um, <clears throat> um, and you know, I got validation in a way that like, oh, these people don't know me and they think that I'm mm -hmm. good. Um, which as confident as I might come across, I still seek validation from, you know, my, my peers in the music, mm -hmm. uh, in the music world. Um, so 
yeah, I, and then when I came back from that, I, you know, I was, you know, pretty, you know, changed by that. I wrote all the drum parts, I wrote all the synth parts, I wrote all the vocals, I wrote the lyrics, I wrote all the guitar parts, I just did, just wrote everything. Um, and part of why I think um, Stretch was so important when it came out is because the first time I was like, I, I wrote the thing and then Bethany was like, no, let me, let me take a stab at the uh, melody and the lyrics. And she did, and it was great. And it was, I th like you're saying, like it's kind of the first time, it was like, feels like a, your your fingerprints were actually on a thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a, I think it's been, we were, we were the old way for so long. I think it's been kind of hard to figure out how to be um, prolific mm -hmm. with the duo writing. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of where we are now, and it's a lot better. We had to take the game to our friends' houses or to like family gatherings and get our people to play too and get that feedback from both sides and then try to make sense of it in a way that still feels like this is going to be a product that both types of people or wherever you come from can enjoy. Um, and, and with no real proof of concept for for that it was it was a really 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 big challenge and we're facing the same thing again with hoop guys just understanding that you know there's a particular place that that basketball and, and, bat, and basketball culture and hip-hop like intersect but how do we translate that into hey sit down and play this semi-complex game that that kind of uh has the same vibe as the street basketball, you know, uh, culture that we're familiar with. At that point, that was kind of like the only plan we had for other money coming in besides the family leave money. Mm -hmm. And so I just started taking everything. I went into like that black girl hustle mode and just like whatever somebody wanted me to write, I was writing like, you know, black business columns. I was writing articles. I was writing, you know, reporting pieces, anything that someone would let me do. And um, the great part about that is it was a ton of practice. So I got to work with a lot of great editors, the folks at Scalawag Magazine, which is based in Durham, Walter Magazine in Raleigh, um, the Carolinian, which is a historic black newspaper in Raleigh as well and um, a lot of other folks who really just helped me become a better writer and, and also to realize what I wanted to be writing about. Mm -hmm. So by the time um, I started thinking about Black Oak Society, I realized that I was gravitating more towards these stories of Raleigh's Black history. Mm -hmm. And um, that was kind of like the outlet that I wanted to really express that. Mm -hmm. Quickly resonated was the actual education part like how to do SOPs, how to do all these different things to grow your business. And we're like, oh, wait a minute here. Like something's going on. Like this can be valuable for uh, businesses. Like they don't have to be viral sensations to, to be valuable. Like from the content production standpoint, business development and just like showcasing your expertise. Like, okay, I think, I think this is what's gonna happen here. Cooking is an art in its own right. And being a food entrepreneur is next level. Let's take a look at some of the episodes that personally made me very hungry. When you're a home-based business, because you don't have a whole lot of overhead, but when you start thinking, okay, I'm actually going to move into brick and mortar, there's whether you have, whether your products are flying off the shelf or not, you have to pay your bills in your brick and mortar space. And so for me, it was just, I had gotten to the point where 
I had initially looked at this space for a different type of business, but after talking to the owner, he said, you know, and I said, well, you know, I do have a sweets business. And so he said that he thought that sweets would be great for this area. And I thought, well, me too. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I uh, went to school, just followed the normal track like everyone else. I thought it was going to be like a or a dentist like that was my goal coming out of high school so I get really good grades go to good school go to med school go to dental school like okay. and and so I guess even in that standpoint I felt like I would like own my own practice one day maybe like I wouldn't have a boss yeah but um took that I had that chemistry lab freshman year and it was like 6 p.m to 10 p.m chem lab and I was like eh, I don't know if I love chemistry and science this much to have 10 o'clock labs at night yeah. so that kind of like I pivoted there and honestly I just kind of went down a path working corporate America for some companies and um, as I did that more like that drum beat really started to come back like hey man I do I want to be able to leave something for my family, for my kids one day. Mm -hmm. I really want to get serious about, okay, how can I do this? I want to make sure that I can build this brand, um, but not, not, not hurt myself by doing it. You know, like, so I, 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 I see some people and I, which I think is great. You know, they may put it out to target and, um, all these different, you know, bigger, bigger, uh, uh supermarket, uh, chains and all that and and be able to you know have thousands I, i'm not at the point where i'm doing like such a mass production so um right now it works for me i i, I know how many bottles i can produce every single month I, um, I i know how to get it out there to to vendor events and online um you know it's it works for me because the idea was okay are we going to do a brick and mortar or are we going to do a food truck well we tried kind of tapping into the brick and mortar like not doing it but asking pandemic. questions yeah. and talking to people and you know that were in our circle that have brick and mortars and we realized mm, I, that's not really for us that model is not for us we like to be on the go we love to travel it's just the two of us so we wanted something that it's like okay if we're ready to if we're closed for that week we're closing up shop for the week we're going to wherever so because that's we love to travel so i think the creativity piece came when we thought about we said you know what we have our juices we have our wellness shots people know that about us um but let's tap into the real i would say the true tea the real tea is being able to curate amazing food and we didn't want to do too much right. we wanted to keep right. it very small very minimal very simple bullet derm is a business has been an incredible ally to our work since the jump um even before gerald was like working there um, and, and as you know, doing writing and working with them. Um, but um, just to, make, to clarify, I, it was almost clear, it was clear to us almost immediately after we started and we saw the response like, oh damn, we about to be in this for a minute. <laughs> so we, we were serious about it for a while, but the flexibility of being just under fiscal sponsorship allowed us to maintain some um, uh, agility uh, as more of a grassroots entity and so while we were still in what we knew was like a, a, a formative stage for us as an organization so we we knew early on like all right this is gonna be we we knew we were in it for a minute um and when we start like almost immediately after because of the response because of we, the possibilities that we saw people have known us in durham 
for a long time, but we could have just not put a lot of emphasis on the brand, but I think it was a really smart decision. And we started with a food truck. And there were basically just a few food trucks at that time, parlor ice cream and only burger. And we came on the scene with a sausage wagon and parked in front of Full Steam Brewery, which also had just opened. And there we were with our very complimentary brands and people in Durham just went crazy. I mean, our opening night, October 27th, 2010, um, we had help from all sorts of folks in Durham to get the word out. And we had 500 people. They went around the block in line to get sausages, four different kinds of sausages. We, we hired our, a chef to work with us to develop those. And um, I'll just never forget that night for the rest of my life. Community is unity. And one thing that makes Durham so sacred is the amount of human beings that that want better for our world. You know, there's so many freedom fighters here. There's so many people here that are creating those spaces for um, black and brown small businesses. And there are so many people who are um, fighting for, for small businesses and curators to get those resources so we can be successful in this late stage capitalist white supremacist world. After dreaming about all that incredible food and food products that are coming from our entrepreneurs here in North Carolina, you know, it's natural to think about working out. Let's take a look at some of our biggest athletes to grace our show in season three. I don't think it's possible, like maybe for some people, but the reality is most transitions are difficult, right? But at the end of the day, they serve and the hard things in life are the good things. A lot of times we tend to live in this fantasy that like life shouldn't be hard and we shouldn't go through difficult things because life will be better that way. And in reality, the rain like we we appreciate the sun so much more when we experience the rain right like we go through valleys and we appreciate the good time way more when we go through the difficult things and i don't think that we'd be able to appreciate them that much if we didn't go through those things as i look back on i'm thankful for it i've learned a lot through the process and at the end of the day that's what i'm trying to keep keep a focus on it's a lot of self-doubt that you have to kind of push through and it's kind of like believing that what like your idea or what you're working towards is gonna work you know like at the end of the day it's something that I, I feel like if you're doing something entrepreneurial you should be having fun with it or something that you're still like getting joy out of um, so for me that was kind of difficult to juggle that of like I'm getting to create something from scratch basically and like build a business and learn. Like I, I'm fascinated with like learning new things or trying new things. So that part of it was just so exciting that like beginning phase of starting a company. But then uh, reality is certainly a thing when it comes to, you know, the money side, which is, to this day, even, you know, it's still a challenge that every, you know, I don't think that'll ever go away. While podcasting and radio shows are no stranger to internet and media, writing has been our first true art form for centuries. Let's take a look at some of the incredible entrepreneurs who have dived into the world 
of book writing and authorship. So I think when we start shifting perspective from what's wrong with me, or what are people going to see about me, or what are people going to think about me, and shift the conversation to what do people need from me, and how can I provide them with the tools or the knowledge that they're going to need to succeed, that focus on self is removed. And it makes it a lot easier for us to frame a conversation with someone that they're going to benefit from. And it's just like any sport, anything that we want to get better at, we have to do it. We have to practice. We don't get better at something without practicing. We have to build up the muscle. And so if you truly want to be an entrepreneur, I'm an introvert, but I'm also an extrovert. Like I'm both and I know how to play both roles, but we have to find that extrovert muscle and work that muscle. Some people are okay with not being in the limelight, not having to have conversations, not being a presenter. And that means you're likely going to take a back seat in a lot of things. Know your why. Know why you're doing it. Period. That, that, that's the beginning and the end for me. I'm doing this because I'm good at this. This is my lane. I know this. I don't do the things, I've turned down plenty of opportunities that either I'm not interested in or that I'm not good at. At this point of my career, I'm not trying to start over and learn a whole new thing. I'm doing what I'm good at and what I'm interested in. And, and that's why I do this. We all have different gifts and talents. And so I'm leaning in to mine. I do a lot of different things, not just presentation coaching, but they're all connected. They're all media related. And so I know my why. There are four people in my apartment complex that are small business owners that I know on an individual basis. So I know the choices that I make impact them. I know that the gentleman that came to Power Watch My Patio team that came and did that Several of the people that live just in my building came and asked me for their number and how much did I pay. And so just the choices that I make, the ripple impact of doing that. I think because we have a really robust entrepreneurial history and community, we get it on a different level. Oh, I could spend $38 on this bag of dog food and have it delivered to my door. I might need to do that this week. That might be the reality of my week. Or in a week when I have more time or a way that I could budget, or maybe I could pay it when I do have time and have it ahead of time, I can spend 10 more dollars, which is 25% more to buy it from a local joint because I know their kids. Because I know this bag of dog food is so much more than a bag of dog food. Last but not least, going back to the original premise of the show, this show is about helping you find your informal business mentor. So let's look at some of the greatest mentors we've seen here on season three. I was just tired. Mm -hmm. I was just tired and I just, and to your point, I felt like I knew the state that we were in, right? So I leave here and I go to another company that may have, um, a, a better look and feel, right? Mm -hmm. um, the culture may be a little different or it may appear mm -hmm. to be a little different. Do I really want to go to another space, 
start from scratch and potentially have to play politics again? Or do I gather my things and start my own thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't have to worry about any of that, <laughs> okay? So, and I know, I, I know the value that I was gonna bring. I knew the value that I was going, of those that I was gonna partner with to build an amazing team um, was gonna bring it. And I didn't want to have to do that again. If you are not used to listening to yourself, record yourself, get used to it. You have to get started. And if there are things you don't like about it, then you can make the adjustments, you can work on it. If you don't like how you sound, then perhaps you connect with a voice coach. If you have whatever it is, in order to be able to adjust or fix it, you have to know what it is. We are a cash-based company. So I, when I started the company, you need to have a pretty good sound. When I started the company, I only, I started with $10,000. I was selling at the back of a truck. Um, so, you know, it's just about taking a leap. You know, when you're in that situation, I went about for two years without pay. So I had to reinvest back in the company. Um, you know, I took a lot of risk during those years, but but fortunately, I had a fam this family support that was able to support me. Um, so now, you know, with, because of the risk, you know, I'm able to, you know, I'm happy where I'm at. We're, we're able to grow and we're a very safe company. We don't have a lot of debt. Uh, I, t I take a lot of advice from a lot of uh a lot of the previous entrepreneurs. I think young people need opportunities to lead and, and to cultivate that, that gift. When I started my business, Illumined um, Leadership Solutions, I started it because I was leading in organizations and found that there was a big disconnect between folks who are at the top of organizations and businesses and those who are actually, what I like to say, doing the work. And to me, leadership is not hierarchical, it's, it's a culture, it can be a process of influence. And I think all of us essentially have the capacity and the ability to lead and to lead well, but I think we have to do it from a place of authenticity, a place of being who we are. The big thing that shifted my consciousness and helped me go from six to seven figures as an entrepreneur was getting myself in, shifting my environment to be around people who thought bigger. And that's really it because there was so much like what had been demonstrated to me and the way that my mindset was for so long was like, if I can just pay my bills, I'm good, you know? And you do that and then you realize because as humans, we are wired for expansion. That's why we have goals. That's why we have desires. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's how you're wired, it's good. Um, so you get to the point that maybe you thought you were going to be like, okay, I'm good. I'm quote unquote successful. And then oftentimes you realize, well, there's this greater calling in my life or there's this greater stirring in my soul. And for me, I started kind of expanding my vision of beyond just my basic needs being met. I hope you enjoyed this episode full of highlights from season three. If there are more categories you'd love us to consider for season four, please drop them below in the comments or send us an email and let us know. If you would like to support the show, please be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, be sure to like and subscribe here on YouTube. Thank you guys so much for watching and listening. Can't wait to see you guys in season four.